Well, again, uh, thanks for joining us today uh, as we launch into the fourth chapter of Daniel in this series entitled Thrive. If you want to find Daniel 4 on your device or in the, in the Bible, uh, we're going to be looking at that chapter. Uh, before we get into that, I just want to give you a heads up of what's coming. On October the 11th, uh, we are launching into 21 days of prayer and fasting. We are coming together as a church family uh, to pray to, in a united effort of prayer. Some of you are going to be called uh, or led uh, to, to fast, and uh, uh, we're excited about what God is going to do uh, during that period of time. Of course, you don't have to wait till October the 11th to pray, uh, but you can be praying for this effort uh, as well. And so we're excited about 21 days of prayer and fasting. Now, Daniel chapter 4, this is one of the most amazing chapters in the Bible because you don't see this very often, but it does happen. This is the testimony. Chapter 4 is the testimony of the most powerful pagan, not a, not a God follower, but a pagan uh, who shares his testimony with the world. And we have it recorded in God's word. It's a story of a person, uh, what happens to a person who sets themselves up against the God of the universe. We've been talking about how to thrive as a Jesus follower in a world that does not follow Jesus and in many respects is hostile toward Jesus and those who follow him. And so uh, this chapter uh, teaches us about how to do that. This morning, we're going to talk about humility. Humility. How many of you are humble? Any humble people in the room? Okay, well, that's, that's, that's the problem with humility, right? I mean, if you raise your hand, it, it shows that you don't have it. Uh, if you think you have enough of it, you, you don't have enough of it. And yet declaring that you aren't humble uh, can be a sense of false pride. I mean, you can never kind of win with humility. It's best left alone. Humility is one of those qualities that's uh, best recognized in you by someone else. Nebuchadnezzar is proud, and he, he comes to this point of humility in this chapter. He's at the pinnacle of his power, and his life falls apart, and he is compelled to recognize the one true God. This morning, we're going to talk about the sovereignty of God, how God rules in the kingdoms of men and the part that you and I play in that plan. Uh, this morning, we are, going to talk, we are going to talk about the election of 2020. Um, actually, I'm going to predict who is going to win the election, the presidential election of 2020. This past weekend, Labor Day weekend, uh, is traditionally the official start of the final phase. We're in, we're, in the fi we're in the home stretch of the election. How many of you are happy about that? Okay, uh, yeah, we're all happy about that. Uh, uh, 51 days and it'll all be, I, we think in 51 days, it'll all be over. Lord, come, come quickly, we don't know. Uh, but since we're rounding third, I thought it'd be, you know, this is a book of prophecy. I thought I would prophesy this morning on who's gonna win the election. So just to keep you interested uh, this morning, I'm gonna tell you later on uh, what my prediction is for November the 3rd. Uh, this has been an interesting election cycle, wouldn't you say? Um, we, did you know that this is the most important election in, in, in America's history? Did you know that? 244 years, and this is the most important election. That's what I've been told. Uh, but I remember being told that four years ago, and four years before that, and four years before that. And who knows? Maybe, maybe it will be. God only knows, and history can, uh, will tell. Uh, but there's a lot of fear-mongering that goes on in every election, wondering and worrying if this, if this person gets elected or if this person doesn't get elected. You know, America as we know it is doomed. Daniel chapter 4 is about a king 
and a kingdom. The word earth is mentioned 10 times in this chapter. The word heaven is found 16 times in this chapter. This chapter is about a king on earth and a king in heaven and how they relate to one another. The phrase most high, the most high is used six times in this chapter. In Daniel, King Nebuchadnezzar recognizes in Daniel uh, the spirit of the gods. Daniel has within him a godly spirit or a spirit of God. And so this chapter is about God's sovereignty and man's humility. Do you want to know who's going to win the election of 2020? Stay tuned. Let's look at Daniel chapter four, verse one. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. Now this is King Nebuchadnezzar, this is first person. He's, he's addressing his entire kingdom in a letter. He's written this letter, this testimony about his life and he's sending it out to the empire. Verse two, it has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the most high God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his works. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion endures from generation to generation. Old Testament scholars believe uh, that this is written uh, around the, in the third decade of his reign. So for three decades, he has been conquering the known civilized world. He's amassed the world's largest empire in human history to this point. And here's his story. Verse four, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. Life was going well. Everything was as it should be. Life is great. There are no more kingdoms to conquer. I'm at the top. I'm at the pinnacle of my power. Verse five, I saw a dream that made me afraid as I lay in bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. So he's at the height of his life and he is now troubled and terrified by a dream. So what does he do? Well, he does what he did in chapter two. He gets all of his wise men together. Uh, to, uh, they can't interpret the dream like they couldn't in chapter two. So Daniel comes in, he listens to the dream. This is the dream, verse 10, drop, drop down to verse 10. The visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong and its top reached to heaven and it was visible to the end of the whole earth, his kingdom. Its leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant and, it, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches and all flesh was fed from it. Now, several times in the Old Testament, you find uh, a tree uh, at as illustrating earthly kingdoms. Naturally, because trees are tall, they're massive and they're strong. They provide shade, they provide nourishment. Nebuchadnezzar is this massive, impressive tree, the source of all life for the world, for the kingdom. Verse 13, I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in bed and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, chop down the tree and lop off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches. Verse 15, but leave the stump, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. 
Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the field. So verse 15, they're going to tear down, they're going to chop down the tree, but they're going to leave the stump. Destroy the tree, but preserve the stump. What does that mean? We'll get to that in a second. But notice how the pronouns change in verse 15. From the tree to him, let his portion. So Nebuchadnezzar is realizing that this tree is him. This is about him. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the field. Let his mind be changed from a man's and let a beast's mind be given to him. He receives the mind of an animal and let seven periods of time pass over him. We don't know what seven times means. It could be days, months, or years. We do know that in the Bible, the number seven is the number of completion. So however long this time period is, it is enough to complete uh, the work God has planned in this time for Nebuchadnezzar. So Nebuchadnezzar is literally going to lose his mind. He's, he's going to have a psychotic break from reality. He's going to wander off into the wild and live like an animal for seven periods of time. That's his dream. That's the prophecy. Why? Verse 17, the sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the Holy One to the end that the living may know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. What's the point of the dream? What's the purpose of this? To recognize that the most high rules the kingdom of men. God is sovereign over the affairs of men. Nebuchadnezzar, you think you're a pretty big deal. You think you've done this all by yourself. You think you're answerable to no one. But one of these days, you're going to be in a field eating grass like an ox. You're going to go insane if you do not acknowledge the sovereignty of God over the affairs of men. You have nothing that the God of the universe has not given you. And until you acknowledge him in your life, you are going to reap the fruit of your pride. Nebuchadnezzar is deeply troubled by this dream. Daniel comes in to interpret it. We'll fast forward down to verse 19. Daniel is just as troubled by this dream as Nebuchadnezzar because he knows what this dream means. He's going to have to tell Nebuchadnezzar the truth. And he repeats in verse 25 what this means. This will happen unless, this is going to happen to you, Nebuchadnezzar, unless you recognize that the king of heaven rules the kings of earth. And he says again that God is going to destroy the tree but he's going to preserve the stump. Now, now, what does that mean? Friends, I've said this before. God, uh, God is not out to get you. But he is out to get you. In other words, uh, the New Testament tells us that God is not willing that any of us should perish. But that all come to repentance. He has no desire to destroy you. But he is willing to destroy anything that is keeping you from him. He may cut down the tree to show you that you are not the master of the universe. But he wants to preserve the stump to show you that he loves you and that he has a plan for your life. We call, we call them wake-up calls. Have you ever gotten one? Can you look back at your life at certain, uh, can, can you pinpoint things or events in your life where God was getting your attention? What, what did you do with that? Did you hit the snooze button? Did you repent only to revert back in time? Did you surrender to the Lordship of Jesus. Friends, God is always trying to get your attention. He's always trying to get your attention. Everything good in your life is a reminder that God loves you. And everything bad in your life reminds you that you are not in charge. 
So Daniel says to Nebuchadnezzar, verse 27, therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. In other words, Daniel is pleading for repentance here. Nebuchadnezzar, acknowledge uh, who you are and what you're doing, what you've done. Forsake your sin. Pursue righteousness by caring for the people in your kingdom that you were oppressing. Now, did Nebuchadnezzar listen to this? No. Verse 28, it says, all this came about. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. Everything Nebuchadnezzar dreamed came true. Why? Well, it didn't have to happen. Daniel said to Nebuchadnezzar, if you repent, if you humble yourself before the God of the universe, your kingdom may prosper. God may destroy the tree, but he will preserve the stump. He is for you, Nebuchadnezzar, but he will not be ignored. Nebuchadnezzar hit the snooze button. Verse 29. At the end of 12 months, 12 months, Friends, God has waited 12 months. Nebuchadnezzar had 12 months to get it. At the end of 12 months, Nebuchadnezzar is walking around on the roof of the, the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, he's talking to himself, is, this, is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence for the glory of my majesty? I mean, Nebuchadnezzar is really into himself. He had this dream 12 months ago. God has waited 12 months to bring this about because he wanted Nebuchadnezzar time uh, to repent or to acknowledge him. Why didn't Nebuchadnezzar get it? Well, why don't you? <laughs> why, don't, why don't we? Why do we often hit the snooze? But how many times have you ignored the wake-up call of God in your life. Here's the, pro here's the problem with pride, friends. It's so diabolical and sinister. It's so hard to get around pride. Pride is like a bowl of ice cream. How do you say that? How, how is pride? Here's, here's what happens, friends. It's like, think of your life right now. Is it going well? Is your life going well right now? Is it pretty great? Is, is everything uh, going the way that you want life to go right now? You look at your life and you're in a period of ease and prosperity. You've had a good day. You've had a pr productive day. Uh, everything has gone right. You've won the game or gotten the deal. You've, you've gotten a raise or someone complimented you, praised you, exalted you. And you come home thinking you're a pretty big deal. <laughs> you look at a good day and you think, yeah, that's me. <laughs> I did that. If things are going well, it's because, well, you know, you worked hard. You worked smart. You're just a little bit better than anybody else. I did a good thing, and so good things come to me. That, that's how it works, right? There's a sense of oddness to our perspective on our own life when things are going well. I'm getting these things because I'm just a little bit better. I'm a little bit more diligent, a little bit smarter. I'm hitting on all cylinders. What can I say? You know? Uh, and you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go home and I'm going to eat a big bowl of ice cream because I deserve it. When things are going well, pride says I deserve all that I get. 
But the question is, what does pride say when things aren't going so well? What happens when life hits a snag and you look all around you and you think, my life isn't going so, uh, so well. Why is my life so bad? Right? And why, you've had a miserable day. Things have fallen apart and you look around your world and you think, why are they getting all the breaks? This is so unfair and I'm just as good as the next guy, better than most. When, it, when things aren't going so well, pride says, I deserve more than I've got. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go home and I'm going to, What are you going to do? You're going to eat a big bowl of ice cream because you deserve it. See, you never win with pride. Pride always says, I'm owed. I deserve. I'm entitled. And so now you know, ice cream is the answer to everything. Pride destroys our ability to handle the bad. Pride destroys our ability to enjoy the good. Because pride always says, I deserve more. Pride never recognizes the kingdom of heaven who rules the kingdoms of men. Verse 31, while the words were still in the king's mouth, while the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. The tree has been cut down. It goes on to describe the beast-like nature that Nebuchadnezzar inherits. Verse 34, at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. You know, at the end of that seven times, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? What have you done? What You have done what you will do. No one can stop what you will do. No one can stop your hand or stay your hand. You are the God who rules the kingdoms of men. Verse 36, at that same time, my reason returned to me and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me and I was established, reestablished in my kingdom and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, verse 37, Nebuchadnezzar praise and extol the honor of the kingdom and honor the kingdom of heaven for all All his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to what? Humble. Now, once again, uh, the ending of the story is not the point of the story. Nebuchadnezzar is humbled. His kingdom is taken away from him. But because he recognized the God of heaven, his kingdom is restored to him. But friends, that's not the happy ending of this story. Three times in this chapter, verse 17, 25, and 32, we read the most high rules the kingdoms of men. This is the point of the story. Nebuchadnezzar recognized who rules the kingdoms and who gives those kingdoms to men. Now, what does this mean for all of us? How do you thrive in a world that seems so out of control in the midst of pandemic and civil unrest and political discord and religious intolerance? One would wonder, how can God be in charge? First Peter chapter five says, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. 
This verse illustrates the story of Nebuchadnezzar and teaches us that humility is the only logical response to the sovereignty of God. I told you I was going to predict uh, who the next president of the United States was. Do you want to know who's going to win the election? Here's the answer. Whoever God votes for. Whoever God votes for. On election night, November 3rd, some of us are going to be delighted. Some of us are going to be disappointed, but God will not be surprised because God never loses an election. In chapter two, Daniel said, it is God who removes kings and sets them up. Jeremiah, the prophet who prepared Daniel for his exile in Babylon said, it is I who by my great power have made the earth and I give it to whomever seems right to me. Jesus himself said to Pilate, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. So if this is true, if the most high rules the kingdoms of men, it raises a few questions, doesn't it? I mean, if God is controlling all of this, do I have a part to play in this? And friends, the answer is yes. I mean, this is the point behind all of Daniel's story. God has a plan, but he's using Daniel to fulfill it. Seek the prosperity of the city and its prosperity will be your prosperity. You and me, we are salt and light in our culture. That means that we involve ourselves in the affairs of our culture. God votes through you. He moves through your political involvement and social engagement, how you operate in the workplace and the marketplace. God is in control and what we do matters. There's a part that we play in his plan. But the second question is, uh, if God is picking our leaders, why isn't he doing a better job? <laughs> I mean, I, you could be honest, right? I mean, you know, we should all vote for a godly leader. What if, what if he's not on the ballot? <laughs> what, what do we do? Friends, this is the sovereignty of God. Jacob in the Old Testament, Jacob cheated his brother Esau out of the inheritance. And yet God still brought about the, the Israelite nation. Moses murdered an Egyptian and God still delivered his people from Egypt. David committed adultery and still God orchestrated a Messiah through his line. Pharaoh and Nebuchadnezzar, Herod, Pilate, all of them were godless men in a God-ordained plan. What does that mean, friends? That means we don't have to worry the reason why we don't understand God's pick is because we just can't, we can't see God's plan. We don't, we don't need to. We talked about the challenges of biblical prophecy, trying to figure out what God is doing. Friends, you don't need to, to know what God is doing. You just need to know God. You don't, need to, uh, you don't need a God you can understand. You need a God you can trust. Because the bottom line is your hope is not in a political system. Your hope is in the most high who rules the kingdoms of men, whose thoughts and ways are higher than yours, but has, an eter has your eternal prosperity in mind. How do you thrive in a world gone mad? You trust in God who is sovereign. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. So if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, what do you think he's saying to you right now? Is there any area of your life where you're still holding back your own sovereignty? Any area of your sexuality, your finances, your lack of forgiveness in your relationships, your priorities, your values? Let Nebuchadnezzar save you some trouble. Before life falls apart, before the tree is cut down, before you go insane, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and he will lift you up. If you're still trying to figure out all of this Christianity stuff, 
Well, again, you don't need a God you can understand. You need a God you can trust, which is to say, now don't misunderstand, but God can be known. If you seek the Lord, God will make himself known to you. But don't let the questions of life and the confusion of this world keep you from trusting a God who has a plan for your life, who has already figured it out for you. Because if you can figure everything out about God, you'd be God. So humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and he will lift you up. Jesus died on the cross for your sins to tell you there is nothing he won't do to win your heart. If you have a question about that, or if you have a thought that we can respond to, uh, this is why we've created this, this phone number, 219-336-2135. If you will text DIVE to that phone number, uh, we'd love to answer any of your questions and help you take your next step toward God. But let the words of Daniel chapter 4 remind us that the Most High God rules of the kingdom, over your kingdom. Would you pray with me? Father, we are so grateful that you are sovereign. And we are so grateful that you have a plan that will not be thwarted. And regardless of whether we can see that plan or understand what you're doing, we know that we can trust you because you died on the cross to save us from our sins. And so, Father, we continue to look to you for our guidance, for our protection, and for our nourishment. You are the tree. You are the one that died on that tree that we might have life. We thank you, Father, for